It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 264, The Visitation of the Magi. Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. In this episode, we cover the near fulfillment of this verse and the mysterious historical relevance of the Magi. Clearly, this verse is the end of the age. Read the rest of Isaiah 60 through 62. It's all about the end of the age. But many prophetic words have a near as well as the far fulfillment. Daniel saw the Antichrist-type figure in the person of Antichias Epiphanes and the Antichrist in the end of the age. Multiple prophecies will do this. And this is, there's, there's often that near and far fulfillment of prophecies. In Isaiah 60, it speaks to the new Jerusalem, which comes down at the end of the age, where Jesus himself reigns supreme among the nations. There will no longer be need of the sun, for the light of the world will reign supreme, and he will be like the sun. His light will be the light of the earth. And here's the prophecy again, though. Isaiah 66. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Median and Ephah are considered part of Arabia. Sheba is considered most likely Ethiopia today. Um, these verses suggest the Magi could come from different states, but it's the, the gift of gold and incense, which is pretty remarkable. And there's other verses, I, I haven't pulled those here, but they speak of kings bringing gifts to the king of kings, right? So, you know, there's some symbolism at play here. Now, these Magi that we're going to speak of, you know, they come from the east. Some have suggested that these Magi come down with instructions passed down from generations of descendants of those who worked with Daniel centuries ago. Could it be even the gifts given were set aside by Daniel himself to be given with the instructions to look to the heavens for a sign? Could it be Daniel sanctified the works of Zoroastrianism or the astrologers of his day and commissioned them to search for a sign, a star coming from the prophecy of Balaam? 
who may well have been the original founder of the Magi. Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And this is crazy. The words themselves would cause such alarm, much less the probable massive military escort that accompanies the Magi as well. No one would travel without military escort if he had gold, much less have the fabled political status of the Magi. The Magi go back before the time of Daniel. It was Nebuchadnezzar who called his magicians and astrologers. Later, the magicians would be referred to as the Magi. Herodotus would put the Magi in a status of a religious ruling elite class in Persia and later kingdoms to, into the time period of the Parthians. The Magi the, were this religious ruling class in many cases that actually appointed the kings that would rule the country. Now, when these guys show with military escort in Jerusalem, even after the raiding parties that stormed the country land not even 10 years ago, here's camels and camels with armed escort and the Magi are asking about where is the one born king of the Jews? Herod isn't even a Jew and he's a paranoid worldly ruler. He married a Jew so he could say he was authentic and um, for, to, for the reputation aspect of it, he actually married a Jew. And all of the Jews despised him because he wasn't one of them. And now these rich foreigners with military escort show asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And I imagine this as one of those heavenly jabs from God himself towards Herod. And Herod is paranoid. Well, for once, Herod actually asked the priest to authentically search the scriptures and find actually where he would be born. And the priestly class answers, it's from the prophet Micah, he would be born in Bethlehem. Matthew 2, 5. So they, asked, they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. What's amazing to me is how the scribes truly knew their Bible. I mean, they were right. Uh, what's more amazing is how one could actually know the word and not know the word. I mean, they know the word. They actually know Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem or the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And they truly know it, but they don't know the actual word of God, Jesus. Knowing the word and not knowing the actual word of God is basically the definition of religion. While true religion is defined as caring for orphans and widows, religion and word and not in deed is just dead religion. These scribes were dead spiritually to God, yet they had great knowledge of the scriptures. Basically, they were brilliant and stupid at the same time, knowledgeable yet lacking understanding. God, let us never be like this. Let us always worship you in spirit and truth. Matthew 2, 9. 
Then they heard the king. They departed and beheld the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. All right, so what's the star? I mean, well, there's many theories from a combination of constellations, a supernova, or both, or a comet. And I, I think these are all super cool. I mean, I mean, God could have supernovaed a ton of stars in a stream with comets and wonders to guide these guys. The other theory is there's an angel up there. This account has always fascinated me. So I asked Dan Tamandel, listener, friend, and emeritus professor of astronomy at Northwest University, to get his opinion on what, what happened here. He sums it up well, and it all hinges on Matthew 2.9. I quote Dan, If something is far away in space, how do you tell if you're right under it? You can't with any accuracy. Also, if the object, planet, comet, etc. is far away in space, even though it may be moving rapidly, it will appear to be moving slowly in our sky because of the distance. Hardly moving at all over a few days compared to the stars. So it will rise and set with everything else in our astronomical sky. That means the point right under it will move several hundred miles every hour because the Earth is rotating. Turning around once in a 24-hour day is about 25,000 miles near the equator, over 1,000 miles in an hour. Matthew 2.9 After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And Dan's conclusion, and I just quote Dan directly, it's, the only way I can figure this happened is by a miracle. Isn't that powerful? God worked a miracle in the heavens to get the attention of these astronomers and kingdom seekers to fulfill his greater design and purpose for himself and for them on the planet. Matthew 2.11 And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, gold is an extreme valuable object in this time frame. Um, it's also representative um, of kingly authority, a royalty. Um, there's even a symbolism of divinity as well in this. Um, frankincense. Um, it's a type of resin or gum, uh, but it's also used um, as, as an incense. Uh, it's burned. It has a pleasant offering. Um, there's a, it's a symbol of holiness and righteousness. Uh, but there's an implication here that this frankincense to the Christ child has this symbolism that it relates to his future sacrifice. Uh, myrrh is another product from Arabia. Um, it comes from a tree. It's a spice. It's also, sometimes it's mingled with wine. Uh, there's that implication there that they, um, they mix the gall with the wine and they try to give Jesus a drink on the cross. Um, there's also the, it's a symbolism of bitterness, suffering, and affliction. It's clear all of these items are, are the perfect gifts for Jesus. 
but they're also terrifying too. Uh, when you know the true symbolism and a Mary who ponders everything in her heart, she's got to be considering why do I have myrrh? Why do I have frankincense for my child? The timing of this account is interesting. Uh, while the Christmas story, you know, the traditional one, suggests the Magi show at the same time as the shepherds, there's some ambiguity as to the timeline. It does say the Magi come to Joseph and Mary in a house which suggests some time has passed. Um, Herod's later determination to murder, murder babies under two years old suggests a much later timeline as well. So it could have been right away or as late as two years after his birth when they arrive. Church tradition assigns the gifts to Jesus from one person each, even different countries. Uh, Melchior hails from Persia. Gaspar, or Caspar, hails from India. Balshazar from Arabia. And this may well be great storytelling, or actually the truth. Regardless, they had this military escort, and they must have made a huge scene in tiny Bethlehem, but their stay wasn't long. Matthew 2:12. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Well, the gold would be enough to provide for years of comfort for Joseph and his family. The angelic bodyguard of Jesus was activated, and Joseph was warned in a dream. And just to have more symbolic meaning, Joseph, like the previous one back in the book of Genesis, was forced not by choice and go to Egypt. And at the time, parts of Egypt, like Alexandria, had a population of at least 30% Jewish. So it wasn't a big deal, really, to remain in Egypt for Joseph and Mary. Uh, so they go with the you know, massive indemnity of gifts that they got from these kings, and then they go into Egypt, and they're going to stay there for a while. Matthew 2.14, And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now the story takes a terrible, terrible turn. But we understand this, knowing the insanity of Herod. Herod at this stage is suffering horribly from that bowel disorder, and he conducted a mass executions, many of them to date. And he's basically suffering hours on end a day and screaming in pain, and he smells, and, he, and he's taking his rage out on everyone. To order the killing of a host of babies really meant nothing to Herod. His Gallic and Germanian bodyguard, uh, you know, this is what they've done for him already. Um, so, you know, this order, though terrible as it was, was something they were very capable of doing. Matthew 2:16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. This is a horrible part of the story. The good part, if you can find one, is that modern scholarship suggests, due to the tiny size of Bethlehem at the time, 
there was maybe only 20 youth killed in Bethlehem on this day. Let's conclude this episode with a super cool confirmation. I think the greatest of points here is the respectable aspect that God didn't have a a local king to honor him. Caesar and Herod weren't going to do it, but someone had to. Someone had to fulfill prophecy. Instead, astrologers, a religious ruling class, would come to provide for and anoint and bless the king of kings. The lowest in society, the shepherds already came. The highest of society, kings come as a blessing. So like the last scene, the oldest in society, Anna and Simeon, come to bless Jesus, repeating this message almost in triplicate, like one of those old carbon copy receipts or checks. Jesus announces his birth with multiple copy receipts, confirmed by the elders of society, the lowest of society, and the kings of society. Three people groups witnessing the birth and early days of the embodiment of the God of the universe. Psalm 8-2, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When Jesus entered Jerusalem in his final week, he was told to silence the crowd. His response, Luke 19:40, If they remain silent, the very stones will cry out. When the moment comes when divine favor occurs, when prophecy is fulfilled, it will happen. It's a sovereign moment, and no one is going to stop Jesus from fulfilling his assignment. He will fulfill his purpose. He always does, as he always will. Whether it be from foreign kings, these magi, the oldest in society, or even the lowest of society, the king is here, the real king of the universe, not a worldly king like Herod or Caesar. No, these astrologers looked to heaven, and they found him. Just like at Jesus' circumcision, that blessing is so powerful. O Lord God, King of the universe, the King of the universe has arrived, and nothing will stop him from fulfilling his assignment of redeeming mankind. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page. Shop at our affiliated Etsy store, Steadfast Gifts. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.